Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which the angels long to look therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ thanks dan well good morning and welcome uh can i uh, add my welcome uh my name's andy and pastor here and it's good to see half of our faces half have masks on i understand that good for safety feel free to do whatever you like to do there um uh good to have you back Anna. good to have you back uh, how about i pray before we jump into it heavenly father we are so thankful for your word and just thankful for this letter that we're going to dig into over the next this term and father we just pray that these precious truths you might lay them on our hearts that we might know them believe them and rejoice and praise you for them we pray this in jesus name amen have you heard the tag you do you you know have you heard that yep good thank you um you know it's the idea that you've got to kind of be true to yourself uh and you know it's kind of the greatest offense of our time isn't it if you're not true to yourself in this day and age and so, you know, you're not being your authentic self. Now, the place that society tells us 
uh, to look at for who we are is inward, isn't it? It's kind of inside of us. Um, you know, it's, it's never been so important to know who we are in society, but I think it's never been quite as difficult as this time we're in. Um, there is, you know, people know Taylor Swift, Tay-Tay. Uh, she's, you know, a prophet of our time. In her speech, uh, when she, uh, she actually received an honorary doctorate. Did, did you know, guys know this? And, you know, in her speech, which was, you know, a stadium full of, a Yankee stadium full of people, uh, she said this, it might not come up, but that's okay, you'll have to listen. It says, I know it can be really overwhelmingly, sorry, it can be really overwhelmingly hard figuring out who to be and when. Who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. You, you hear what she's kind of reflecting on there? She, you know, the, the good news, you know, she's saying, you look within yourself and you make who you are. You know, you can uh, be who you are now and then what you've got to do in order to be who you want to be. You get to decide. It's totally up to you. But then she's also captured the, the hard thing about that too. The irony is actually that makes it very difficult <laughs> uh, to be who I am. Uh, and... I think the irony of our time is that while we all are told to look within to find ourselves, this has actually led to a more fragile sense of identity, a sense of who we are, that hasn't actually led to people who are able to cope with all that life can throw their way. And so, you know, the reports about our identity are, you know, anxiety's on the rise, narcissism's on the rise, there's more anger. All these reports are coming out everywhere because... We get being told to look and find our identity within us, but we just don't have the means to be able to cope with life. See, friends, knowing yourself, having a clear sense of who you are, is the way you can carry yourself well through this life, and especially, can I say, as a Christian. See, if you are a Christian, uh, I imagine you're living in our current context, and you can probably feel that being a Christian is get, being challenged on every front. Uh, intellectually challenged. Uh, many of the ideas we believe as Christians, which are core to our faith, are, you know, are kind of paraded around as being backwards and harmful for society. Morally challenged, uh, you know, possibly laughed at or mocked or belittled for deciding not to join in with others. Uh, what, what Christians call good, society calls evil. Socially challenged, perhaps more and more you're just feeling more and more on the outer, uh, like you and your ideas are not welcome and you don't belong. See, I imagine if you're a Christian, you are probably feeling this in your workplace, in your friends, and at your sporting field or whatever it is. And this is why I think 1 Peter is so helpful for us, because 1 Peter is written to Christians in the middle or the second half of the first century who are going through the same thing, possibly stronger but along the same lines. They were experiences that they felt were going, they were going against the broader society. Have a look at verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So they're experiencing various trials that are causing them all sorts of grief. 
yet at the same time, they're able to rejoice. It's this kind of dual, like these two expressions, these two emotions of joy and grief kind of conflicting, but they're both intense uh, emotions that we feel as Christians. See, I think Peter at the start of this letter kind of gives us two things for us, which is going to help us uh, live in our world and orientate us to our world. He wants us firstly to know who we are, and secondly, he wants us to praise the God who gives us living hope. Is the screen's not working? I don't know, it's probably not that big a deal. Maybe for when we're singing it will be. I'll just keep pushing on. So firstly, Peter wants us to know who we are. Have a look in verse uh, 1 there. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's kind of a standard uh, opening to a letter. You know, it kind of tells us who it's from. It's from Peter the Apostle. Uh, now, we, we know a lot about Peter, which we've already kind of heard, uh, but he was, you know, with Jesus in his earthly ministry. Uh, he was there, witnessed his death, witnessed his resurrection, uh, and he was went on to become an early church leader. And, the fra- and then we, we find out who it's written to. It's written to elect exiles. Now, I want us to kind of pause on that phrase for a little bit because I think that's an identity of the people, the Christians that Peter is writing to. The exiles. Does anyone have other translations other than the ESV? Is there another word that they use? Does anyone remember? Like, yeah, strangers. Uh, NIV 84 had strangers in the world. Um, any other? Exile, like, so there's exile, the, the CSB has temporary residence, uh, that, that word. So the, the translators are trying to capture this kind of Greek word, and, you know, we've gone with exiles, strangers, temporary, those who reside as strangers in the Naz. One of the old words is uh, sojourners. Do, do people know sojourners? Now, it's a great, it kind of captures it, but we don't really know what that means. Um, so, uh, you know, aliens, strangers, wanderers, they all kind of capture this idea. I think it's the idea of being a foreigner, right? Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, if you think of a, a uni student who arrives for uni uh, and they're here studying as a temporary resident, you know, they're operating in a foreign country, in a foreign language, in a city that they don't know, uh, in an unfamiliar culture and food and language. You know, their, their, their visa could run out, so they'd have to go home. They can't vote. You know, so the idea of a foreigner is you're kind of a temporary resident. You're not fully integrated into society. Now, if you add to that kind of, the, you know, the exile word, add to that that these people are dispersed. So they're dispersed among Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, I do have a, a slide. <laughs> there we go. Um, we got there. Great. Um, this is where he's writing to. So, you know, you can see the boot, there's Italy, Mediterranean Sea, where, so that circle there, that's the area uh, in which uh, Peter is sending this letter to, to different Christians uh, scattered throughout that world, dispersed, they're, um, they're scattered throughout that area. Now, he's not writing to a church, but he's writing to Christians and they're going to pass this letter around. Uh, and 
just like these early Christians scattered, our lives too, we're, as Christians, we're scattered around the world. We're wanderers on earth. Uh, we know that this earth is not our home and we are waiting for Jesus to return. Now, I remember um, going to Krusty Demons. Does anyone know what Krusty Demons is? I, I, yeah, thank you, we've got one. It's like a, um, it's a dirt bike show and tour. Now, this, is, this was way, I, I turned up there and I was way out of place. I felt like I did not belong. I was kind of, it was, I went for a, a mate's birthday and I was like surfing a lot. So I had kind of like Afro, blonde hair. I was in boardies and thongs, you know. So it was kind of, and I remember walking into the stadium and everyone's in kind of fox gear. Everyone's got their rat tat. This is the raddies before raddies were cool. Like, you know, all, just bikey central. And everyone was looking at us going, what on earth are you guys doing here? And, you know, we, we felt like we didn't belong uh, there at all. Uh, and our whole group was kind of like, let's safety in numbers, let's just get through this, experience the dirt biking and get out of here. But he, I think that kind of not belonging, that sense of being an alien, a stranger, that's the sense that Christians are ought to feel in this world. This isn't our home. We don't belong here. And I wonder whether, as Australians, 21st century we don't feel that as much as we like to. Maybe we're tempted to fit in, to make ourselves comfortable, to, to set up residence, to lay down roots. We're desperate to build our houses and we forget that this world, this place, isn't our home. But friends, Peter wants to remind us that we are exiles. We are aliens and Australians. We are like Abraham. Christians are those who have left family for a better place and a better city. Christians are like Israel, they're wandering around the desert for 40 years. We are like the Jews who have been kicked out of the land in a foreign country. We're aliens and strangers. Now, to these aliens and strangers, these, are these exiles, Peter wants to show something else about our identity. See, while we belong to the world, he says we are elect. We belong to God. Uh, consider that description. Like, you know, he says the elect exiles. That word elect means we're chosen by God. Uh, we're God's elect. We're uh, one of God's chosen family. Where it gives us an identity that we belong to Him. Uh, the elect word in exiles was used only in the Old Testament to refer to the Jews. But now Peter, a Jew, is using the same title to refer to all Christians that are now in Jesus. See, we have been given an identity of, by God and we belong to Him. Do you know what the most defining moment of our life is? It's, it's not our birth, it's not our marriage, it's not our kids, it's not our whatever, our, um, our jobs, it's our election. It's that we are elect, that before creation began, God decided to choose you to belong to Him. That word is supposed to um, bring such comfort to Christians that before creation, was, your identity was chosen to be in God. See, friends, we've got to forget kind of looking within for our identity and purpose. Uh, we need to think of what, what does God think of us? See, what matters isn't really what other people think of us or even what I think about myself. What matters is what God thinks about myself. And if you are in Jesus 
you are in his elect, you are his chosen, you are being handpicked by him to belong to him, to be included in his family. See, while we may feel insecure in this world, uh, we might feel on the outer, but if you are a Christian, you are secure with God. He is not going to budge on his perception and decision on who you are and what you mean to him. See, I think it's knowing that you're a chosen stranger, alien, uh, means that you can go through life uh, not just surviving but actually thriving. Because what happens, our identity isn't defined by how well we succeed, how much things we accumulate. It's not defined by our failures. It's not defined by our history of what we've done. But it's actually defined by God. Even though it won't be easy, it gives us fuel to live with an identity of God. So that's the first point. If you feel like you're out of sync with the world, like you're swimming against the tide of culture, this is why. This is who God's made you. This is your identity. You are the people of God in his world away from home. And Peter says, know who you are. The second thing I want us to know is notice is that knowing this about ourselves, Peter then turns to just praise God for the living hope he gives us. I think verse 3 is the, is the kind of core idea of verses 3 to 12. So verse 3 kind of captures the core idea and then verses 4 to 12 unpack it for us. So have a look at verse 3 here. He says, this is who you are. And then verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't know if you're an underliner in your Bibles or you want to put things to memory. This is one of those ones you put down. Blessed be God, for in his great mercy, not just mercy, great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Have a think about it. If there's one thing that you could change about you that would change everything, what would it be? Don't answer. Yeah, so there's a long enough silence. It's, it's your birth, isn't it? It's your birth. You know, your birth defines your, um, you know, your human family, your ethnicity, your place in history, where you live in the world, your society, your culture, your genetic makeup, your opportunities, your inheritance. Friends, hear, hear this here. God, the Father, in his great mercy, has given us new birth. He's given us a new birth into God's family. And this new birth changes everything. And in particular, it changes our hope. See, our hope is no longer limited by our earthly heritage, but we have been born again into God's family and born again into a living hope. The living hope that we have is contrast against the infinite number of other dead hopes we have in this world. People in this world live for so many things in life, but they're not living hopes, they're dead hopes because death will bring an end to them all. Friends, if Jesus was still dead and buried in Palestine, then so are our hopes. Our hopes would be dead and buried and there'd be nothing for us worth clinging to. But as Christians, we have a living hope because Jesus truly lived and died and was raised to life beyond reasonable doubt. The evidence, the tomb was empty. He's not dead but alive and he's resurrected from the dead. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. 
He's a living Lord who gives us a living hope. I think Peter knew this more than anyone, right? You know, the resurrection, the, the fact that Jesus is alive changed everything for him. You remember, like, we know there's so much, you've got to read Peter in his eyewitness accounts, but be, uh, the day before Jesus was die, dies, executed, Jesus, um, Peter said, there's no way I'm going to, you know, uh, I'll follow you to the end, Jesus. What happened? This little girl comes up to him and says, are you a follower of Jesus? What does he do? Says, no, denies Jesus. He's fearful and frightened of a little girl around a campfire. But then within a few weeks, this same Peter, who's going to stand in front of a hostile crowd in front of thousands in Acts and say to them, the man that you killed was the God of the universe. You all need to repent and turn back. See, what's the difference for Peter? Well, it's the resurrection. It's he, he, he met the risen Lord Jesus and that transformed him from a timid, fearful, frightened fisherman to a person who was radically sold out for Jesus and the cause of Jesus. And he goes on to actually preach about Jesus in the ancient world and to suffer and die because of it. See, here is the living hope that is so life-transforming that we have as Christians. And it's just so worth reflecting and praising God that Jesus is alive and that's the hope he gives us. Now, the word hope, I don't know whether you think that's kind of uh, helpful. You know, it, the word hope, kind of, I feel like it's kind of a bit like wishful thinking. Uh, you know, we kind of doesn't instill much confidence in us, I think, in the way we use hope. Uh, you know, I hope that by the time I'm 70, I'll still be surfing. It's a bit of wishful thinking. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, the way we use hope is not the way the Bible uses it. Because there's so many things that we hope for now that never come true. You know, we hope for the job, we hope for the promotion, we hope for the relationship, we hope for the HSC mark that meant all that stuff about us. But these hopes, the way we use that hope is wishful thinking. That's not biblical hope. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's a certain future with a guaranteed outcome. It's, it's something that you can be absolutely certain about will happen. And it's not wishful thinking at all. Uh, it's not like what the world tells us hope is that you can kind of, you know, they tells us that we can be whoever we want to be. Gosh, can we? No, there's no way we can be whoever we want to be. That's, that's wishful thinking. You know, Tay Tay doesn't get it. Now, this hope that we have is from the outside. It's a certain hope that God guarantees happens. Why? Because of what he's done in the past. His death paid for every sin. He's risen from the grave. So payment is right. And this is a future living hope for those who God has chosen, those who he's made alive. Now, verse 4, he kind of unpacks what this living hope is with another word, kind of inheritance. Uh, so pick it up at the end of verse 3. He says, In his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, you know, your inheritance is, the, you know, what you get when your parents die. And so if you're in a, a wealthy family, it, you get a lot. If you're in a not-so-wealthy family, you don't get much. But what Peter is saying here is it doesn't matter what your earthly family has or doesn't have. It's not worth comparing to the eternal inheritance that you have when you're in God's family. 
he describes the inheritance with um, three words uh, by what it's not. You know, it's not, so it's inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Uh, these words are kind of complementary, but they're slightly different meanings. You know, it's imperishable in the sense that it can't be destroyed. Death and decay won't take it away. It's undefiled in that it, it can't be corrupted. It's free from uncleanness and moral impurity. It's, it's unfading and it won't fade like the paint on your car. Uh, it's the believer's inheritance is so secure, so certain that he's untouched by death, unstained by evil and unimpaired by time. It is the precious inheritance that's safe in the hands of God, kept secure in heaven for you. Now, doesn't this inheritance, this future, secure, safe inheritance that you have in Christ, mean that we don't need to live this life as though this is all there is? Because for the Christian, the best is yet to come. So what that means is we don't have to be consumed with finding our identity, our worth, our purpose in the things of this world that are fleeting, the security that lasts for a moment and is gone, the status that doesn't last the stuff that breaks, the success that fails. We can live now, our identity is secure, confident, because we have an inheritance that God has secured from us and it's promised to us and will come. So it means we can actually truly be who we are, you know, who God has made us. And so when we experience, you know, the tension between the Christian's beliefs, priorities, values, ambitions and the world around us, uh, it won't cause us to despair, but it also won't cause us for jealousy because whatever we're missing out on in this life, I know that my eternal future will be incomparable to whatever experience I have. Uh, my, my dad said to me, that no matter what waves you miss out on or what snow you're not going to get to this season, he says, there's going to be bigger, there's going to be better surf and better waves. This is very, um, you know, you can tell what I like to do when I explain how it applies to me. Whatever it might be, you know, you might be crusty demons on a dirt bike, um, better bikes. But, you know, gosh, that's a, a, a freeing thought if you reflect on your life and, and how you deal with not experiencing things in this life. We don't need to. God has given us an inheritance that will never perish, perish spoil or fade. Now, the question is, how do you get into this hope? How, how is it that you can have this identity that sets you up to live life well and get born in this family? Well, it's not dependent on you. See, that's the thing about birth, isn't it? Um, how many of us decided to be born? Uh, none of, you know, that's, the, that's the one thing. You, you can't choose to be born. It's decided for you. Uh, you, you don't decide, you know, it's decided for you. Someone else decides it for you. And, you know, this idea helps us to understand that our right dependent on God for his great mercy in which he causes us to be born again. See, verse 2, it's the, the, the God, the Trinity, the triune God who works salvation. And it's the Father who, by his foreknowledge, chooses. It's the Spirit who sanctifies at the time of repentance. It's the, uh, Christ's death and resurrection where he sprinkles, sprinkles his blood on us. See, the Bible is clear that when someone becomes a Christian, that is when they're born again, the only way they are able to see Jesus, to choose Jesus, is because he first chose them. He worked by his spirit in them to be able to 
see Jesus for who he is. Now, of course, all sorts of things happen for us at a human level. You know, you, you read about it, you weigh up truths, you decide. But the point that Peter's saying here, behind all that is God working through the triune God to bring about this new birth in you. And it's a whole new experience for the Christian. It's a change from the inside. It's being born again. Your identity is totally changed. And it changes our love, doesn't it? It means that we'll love to turn up to church on a Sunday morning. Have you thought? That's a bit weird, right? I can think of other things that might be better to do on a Sunday morning than turn up to church. But that's what being born again does. It's, you realise, wow, this is profound. We get to hear from God, encourage other Christians week in, week out. It means you love turning up to growth groups week in, week out. Because you think, this, what else would I want to do on a weeknight? I want to get around, hear from God, study it, encourage others to stick with Jesus. It's a, it encourages to pray to Him. So the, the being born again actually changes us from the inside that we get these new loves that we would never have had apart from the work of God. It's a profound work of God's great mercy uh, and it's from the inside out. And Peter is just blown away. He just wants to praise Him. Now maybe you're thinking... Um, you know, this is great, but how do I know that I'm going to get to this inheritance? How do I know that uh, I will make it to the end? Uh, you know, I trust Jesus, but, you know, I just, I really don't trust myself. I don't trust that when suffering comes or the trials and the grief that I won't just throw in the towel and give up. Well, have a look at verse 5 there. It says, um, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, it's like there's this dual protection, right? Verse 4, our inheritance is guarded and kept in heaven. But here in verse 5 is us who are being protected by God's power. Think about Peter. He would have known more than anyone this reality. He disowned his Saviour three times before the rooster crows. Jesus says to him in Luke 22, before he does this, he says, uh, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, go and strengthen your brothers. You see, you see what's happening? Jesus is praying that Peter would endure, that he'd be protected, that his faith would not fail. And we get this picture through Peter of a faith that does endure, uh, made possible because God has our back. Uh, when it comes to our faith, God guards and protects us. And this is why you can rejoice in our trials. Have a look in verse 6 there, back to where we were at the start. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. See, we can rejoice in our grief and our trials because our salvation our inheritance is secure and guarded by God and we can praise Him for that. But the wonderful thing I love about the Bible, it's realistic and it just creates an accurate picture of life. It, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It says actually coming to Jesus isn't going to make your life easier. It's not going to make it, you know, you're not gonna, it's not going to come and you'll get the job promotion that you wanted. There's no promises that that's going to happen. He says that suffering is part of the deal for being a Christian. He doesn't promise to take away our trials and sufferings, but he does promise to walk through it with us so that we might have a deep joy of the great mercy that God has been 
in the midst of real grief and pain. Now, the, ver- the point of verse 6 to 9 is that as we suffer in this world, our grief and our trials actually prove our faith. They actually prove our faith is genuine. It's kind of like a, it's like a test, not a test that, you know, out of 100, but a test in the sense that if you continue in your faith, it demonstrates that your faith is true and genuine. So on the one hand, our suffering can be cause of our faith. You know, as we live as strangers and aliens, there'll be various struggles that our faith will cause. Social pressure, you know, exclusion from our neighbours and misunderstanding of why we do things and diminished opportunities because we're a Christian, which if you weren't a Christian, you'd be at home and because you're at home, you would be able to just go along. You're not living as an exile. But on the other hand, our faith uh, actually helps us endure through the suffering. So it's a, it's a cause, our faith, but also it helps us endure. So verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, we walk by faith, not by sight. Though you haven't seen him yet, you believe. If you didn't trust Jesus... When the trials come, you'll just abandon him. The fact that you don't give up demonstrates that your faith is real, that you do hope in Jesus. See, see, God gives us an identity. He gives us a hope, a joy, a happiness that is not dependent on external circumstances. This is a joy that you won't have if you're not born again. It, it's, not, it's a joy that if you're not reminding yourself of that uh, inheritance, that living hope we have, you'll forget about it. You might not have it for a moment. See, how is it that you can have deep joy? It's because you could lose everything in this life, but there's one thing that cannot be taken away from you. Eternity, our inheritance, our salvation. It will never perish, spoil or fade. Friends, we grieve, but we grieve not without hope. And I think this gives us strength and stability to... Uh, go on living with Jesus. Friends, I'm going to wrap up. Can I remind you to know your identity? Know your inheritance. You don't need to conform to the things of this world. We don't need to be like the world. We are different, so be different. You're a child of God. You've got new birth into this family. You belong to God. You do you. You do you. But as you experience the tide running against you, can I say, let that amplify your hope so that you would rejoice and praise God in it. At the end of the letter, Peter tells us why he wrote. He says in 5 verse 12, he says, I've written briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God, friends. In the midst of grief and joy, don't be surprised, don't freak out. This is a normal Christian experience. Stand firm in it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your mercy is great. Uh, You have made yourself a people who you've chosen. You've given them new birth. You've set them apart as your very own. And you've sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus. Father, we are so thankful for this living hope that cannot be taken away from us. Father, this eternal inheritance, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on it. And as we experience the grief and the suffering, 
that we might we might both grieve and rejoice in you. And and we thank you that you keep all your promises to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.